relationship habits. And through the course of this term, we're going to be talking about different relationship habits that we can begin to develop and apply to our life. And the thought behind this isn't just romantic relationships. These are all relationships, whether it's work relationships and family relationships and relationship with your parents and relationship with your children, relationship at school. And so we can take these habits and develop them and filter them through so that we are thinking big picture. And we're starting off with this habit of thinking big picture as the foundation because what it does is it takes the pressure off of ourselves to perform. Because if you look back upon our past, and if you're anything like me, you look upon the past, I've tried that, I tried that, I tried that, I failed there, I failed there, I failed there. Why bother? Why do anything else? I've already tried everything. So let's go back and see what the Word of God says. I asked you earlier to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This verse that is foundational upon developing godly relationship habits. Because it takes the pressure off of you and I to perform, you and I to be good enough or smart enough or strong enough, and it puts it back onto who we are in, not in what we do. Therefore, if anyone is, and here's the key, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and it says, Behold, the new has come. We're going to do something this morning. In this next section, you'll see in your bulletins, you'll see that verse written out with a bunch of blanks written into it. And on the screen is also uh, it's a bunch of blanks. And as we read through this verse together, I want you, when it says blank, I want you to say your name. But I don't want you just to mumble your name, you know, Linda. I want you to say it with a bit of enthusiasm because this is a happy verse. The reason why I'm doing this is I want you to recognize that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that you have placed your trust upon Christ as your Savior. You're repented of your sin. The Bible says that he has taken your sin and your guilt and taken that away and replaced it with his righteousness. The Bible says he's taken the punishment of our sins upon his own shoulders. We have hope not just for today, but for eternity in heaven. And it all begins with the fact that we are in Christ. So if you are in Christ today, I want you to personalize this verse with me. So as we read through this, I'm going to pause, and I want you to enthusiastically say your name, if you know what your name is. Therefore, if is in Christ, is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As silly as that is, what you just said there was that you are in Christ and that you are a new creation. And the old you is gone. And it says, behold, the new you in Christ has come. And as a result of that, we now can live different lives. We don't have to live the old way any longer. Not because you've tried really hard. Not because your good outweighs your bad. Not because you are smart or strong or really resilient. It's totally because you are in Christ. And as a result of that, we can develop godly relationship habits. 
The problem is we often learn the hard way. We have to learn the hard way because we learn from our own mistakes. But I would much rather, and you would probably too, learn from someone else's mistakes rather than having to experience them myself. Someone said this, A wise person learns from experience, but a wiser person learns from someone else's experiences. I would much rather learn from the experiences and things that we find in the Bible rather than having to go through and learn everything myself. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a man named Joseph from the Old Testament and learning from his experiences. And there's things in his life that there's no way I want to experience what he's experienced. Someone else said this, Experience is a good school, but the fees are high. We all have similar goals. Every single one of us wants to be loved. We all want connection. We want to be listened to. We want to be valued. We want to be liked by others. Whether it's at school or at home, we all have similar goals. But we find ourselves going through and having very different results. I believe it because we need, must go back to Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, stop trying to do this in our own strength, in our own power. We are a new creation. The old you, before Jesus Christ has passed away, and it says the new you has come. And as a result of that, we don't have to think small any longer. Now we can think big picture. And our principle for today is the same principle we had last week, and we're growing it and developing that same principle. In Christ, I can think of the big picture and respond correctly. The opposite of that is, if I'm in my own strength and my own ability, I can think short-term and react and make a, a whole lot of mess. We want to break those bad habits and replace them with godly relationship habits. We want to develop the habit of responding, not reacting. I want you to mull that over because there will be times today, if not later on this week, when you are given an opportunity to respond and not react. The reaction is the natural way. We all do that. We all blow up. We all get angry. We all say things we shouldn't have said. We all think poorly. We all think selfishly. We all break relationships. That's natural, but that's not the way we're called to live. We're called to live in Christ. So let's seek to not react, but to respond. And I'm going to, this morning, give you a really quick overview of what we discussed last week as an introduction. And then from that, we're going to seek to apply it in the second half. But we're going to be talking about a man named Joseph and talking about responding. Because responding is thinking big picture. And we discovered last week there were three truths in the life of Joseph we find in Genesis chapter number 50. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 50. We're going to read verses 19 through 20 in just a moment's time. And the thought behind this is we are thinking big picture, but that's really hard. How do we filter that through? 
But Joseph, it says, said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph, as an older man with his brothers around him, they were seeking his forgiveness because they had really hurt him. And Joseph responds in a way that he was constantly thinking big picture. In this passage, we see three truths that he filtered through his response so that he was not being reactionary. He was not being angry. He was not seeking vengeance. He was not hurting people that really deserved to be hurt. First of all, we see, remember God's promises. You see, Joseph and his family, Joseph had 11 other brothers. His great-grandfather was a man named Abraham, and Abraham talked to God, and God gave him what we commonly refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. God spoke to Abraham and called him out of his homeland and gave him a tremendous promise. And through that, we see, even today, we are being blessed. Because through that same family tree, we have Jesus Christ, our Savior. All that goes back down to a promise that was given to a man named Abram. And it says in Genesis chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3, I'm just going to read the first two verses. And it says, Now the Lord spoke to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that, and here's the key, I will show you. And he goes on and says, and God promises, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. All of Joseph's life growing up, he would have, been, he would have heard this. His father would have taught him this. His mother would have taught him this. This would have been the common story around the campfire at night. Tell us the story about how God has made some promises about our family. Everything that Joseph did in his life, he filtered through the promises of God. He recognized that God says, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to be the one that blesses you. And through that, you are going to be a blessing to the entire world. And we are being blessed today because of that same promise, promised thousands of years ago. Joseph filtered everything he did through that promise. We also see that the power. Joseph asks a question. He says, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? That's another way of saying God is God. He's the one that's powerful. He's the one that created the world and sustains the world, who knows the beginning from the end, and I don't. So another way of saying it is God is God and I am not. And he filtered through everything that he did, through the promises of God, and also through the power of God. And third we see, Remember God's purposes. Verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He recognized God had a purpose for his life. And through that, he was able to help others. Remember I said earlier that you are part of something bigger and greater than just yourself? And maybe right now you are in a stage of life, much like Joseph, where you feel like everything is against you. 
me encourage you that you can recognize that God has an eternal plan and we are part of that eternal plan. Joseph did not like every circumstance in his life. I think there's a huge difference between joy and happiness. He could experience joy even when his circumstances were horrible. We are looking at responding. He filtered through three things. He remembered God's promises, God's power, and God's purposes. And as a result of that, he was able to respond. That was point number one, and that was last week. Everything I've said so far is introduction. Now, you ready for the new stuff? Now we'll get to the next section where we see react. Because we have a choice of how you are going to react in circumstances. When someone cuts you off in the road, you have a choice to react and get angry and say everything that you really think about that person or respond filtering through the promises of God, filtering through the power of God, filtering through the purposes of God. And you, from that, you think big picture. Now, I don't know why I'm picking on driving today, but this is kind of came to my mind. Maybe I need this for myself, okay? It's so easy to blow up at a stranger in a car and to tell them how silly they are and all the other things that could possibly come to your mind, which I will not repeat. And we think, in the grand scheme of eternity, that's nothing. It's a moment why would I lose my testimony? Why would I lose my character over something so small and short term? Because we think short term. We think small picture. But when we filter it through the promises of God and the power of God and the purposes of God, we sit back and think big picture. We recognize that we are part of something bigger and greater than just ourselves. Let's go into the next part. Point number two is react to think small picture. Now we're going to go through, I'm going to tell us the, the account of Joseph from Genesis chapter number 37 all the way to chapter 50. And I'm just going to scratch the surface of this account. And you may be very familiar with the story and the biblical story of Joseph. Let me encourage you, rather than sitting back and going, I know this already, because I kind of did the same thing, to be honest with you. I was thinking, I know this story. It's already well known. But as I begin to filter through and see this in the life of Joseph. I lent into it. And personally, this has been very helpful for me and my driving. So I hope it, hopefully it is for you too. We see in the life of Joseph, it takes no skill or spiritual discipline to think small picture. It takes no effort at all because it's all in you. But remember, we are in Christ. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He had 10 older brothers that he did not get along with at all. And part of that was because he was the favorite son of his father. His father purchased him a coat with many colors, which would have been very valuable at the time. And it was a coat that set him apart and showed that he was being honored. And as a result of that, his brothers hated him. In the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verse 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They had not one kind word to say about Joseph. And they then had the opportunity after a period of time 
Joseph was sent to find his brothers who were shepherds, and they went to find them in the fields. And as they were watching him walking, they began to plan out his murder. And they said, we are going to kill our brother. And as they grabbed him and threw him into a pit to continue their, their surmising of how they were going to kill him and how they were going to explain his murder to their father and get away with it, along come some traitors. Now you think for just a moment. The Bible does not give us any indication of the emotion of the day. But can you imagine the cries? Can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine the words that were said and the pleas and the promises that were being made? Imagine that, because I have three children, and sometimes, and maybe your children are the same, you hear a blood-curdling scream as if they're being murdered in the other room. Now, what's really happening is one of them touched the other one. You hear this horrible scream. Could you imagine the screams of Joseph as he's pleading with his brothers, let me out, let me out? And along come some traders, some Midianite traders. These entrepreneurial brothers thought to themselves, you know what? If we kill our brother, we get nothing out of it. But if we sell him, we'll get some money. Fantastic brothers. And they say in verse 26, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? So they sell their brother into slavery and Joseph becomes a victim of a horrible crime. That's the first point, a victim. And you and I can become a victim where we've been wronged by someone else. I don't think any of you have been murdered by someone. You have been hurt by someone else and we carry along that label of being a victim year after year after year. The scripture records him being sold to the Midianite traders for 20 shekels of silver. I worked it out, a shekel and the weight of, of a shekel. And when, in modern days, and, and how much it would be per ounce and worked it all out. Do you know how much 20 shekels of silver is worth? In modern, $241. He was even cheap. They didn't even bargain probably. They said, whatever you give us for him, you can take. You imagine him being dragged along that first night, following these traders down to Egypt to be sold into slavery. Imagine the tears of despair. He went from being the favorite son who was honored to now being a person that had no rights and being hated by his brothers to the point where they turned their backs as he was crying out and pleading for them to release him. Joseph had a choice of how he was going to be. Was he going to remain a victim and live as a victim for the rest of his life? Or was he going to remember the promises of God? Was he going to remember the power of God and remember somehow, God, you have purpose as he's being dragged along? I have no doubt he cried. I have no doubt he was hurt emotionally, but he refused to live as a victim. So, so many times in our own lives, we look back upon things and they're really, really silly that we could live as victims. This week, I had a flashback of a very traumatic event. Thirteen years ago, my family moved from the U.S. and returned to Australia, and we were setting up our Medicare things, and we went down to one of the happiest places around called the Medicare office. The happiest places on earth. 
and Disneyland and the Medicare office are, are side by side. And we got all our paperwork together, carried it in there, waited in line for what seemed like a long time because there's never a short line at the Medicare office, even when you're early. And the lady behind the counter looked at the paperwork and says, you need such and such a form and this form of ID. And I went, are you sure? Because I've ticked every box. Yeah, absolutely. You need that. So go home, get it, and then come back. So several hours later, after waiting in line again, we come up to the same lady, and I put my forms there on the table, and all the extra paperwork and extra ID had that on there, and I had it all laid out, ready to be viewed by her, and she calls over her manager for a moment to get a second opinion because this was really hard stuff. The manager didn't even look at any of my paperwork. This is a traumatic flashback I had. She didn't look at any of the ID that I went home to get. She went, yes, tick, 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 signed it off, thank you, and walked away. And I stood there thinking, you just wasted hours of my time. Now, I honestly have not thought about that in years, so I had a flashback as a victim. Now, I've forgiven her. I don't know who this lady is, but I've forgiven the entire Medicare office. You know how silly that is? That's a really silly story. But we carry around things like, oh, I hate that. And we start bad-mouthing various things, and we live as a victim when in reality that was a blip in the, in the life of my eternity and realize that meant nothing. Why would I ever want to become a victim to that? I want to live in the promises of God and live in the power of God and live in the purposes of God. In a similar way, that's exactly what happened with Joseph. He was sold into a family and became a slave. And as a slave, that's the second point. And as a slave, he was sold into a family's home called Potiphar. In verse 36 of, of chapter 37, it says, Midianite sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. He was sold into a very affluent family, but he was the bottom. He went from being the favorite son and probably having a pretty cushy life because he had 10 older brothers. So I, I doubt he had to do many of the, of the rubbish runs. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he had a pretty soft life as the favorite son, and now he is the bottom. He is a lowly slave, and he has a choice. Is he going to react and say, I might as well now go live as a slave I'm, because I have no more rights. I'm going to get up when my master tells me to get up. I'm going to do what my master tells me to do. I have no choice. I might as well just go and be, the, be a slave. But Joseph didn't do that. The, the passage goes on and describes him as being a person that God's favor was upon. And part of for the master saw that, and he put him in charge eventually of his entire household. And the scripture records the fact that he had no concern for anything in his house except for the food he ate. Everything was being controlled by Joseph. He, because Joseph refused to live as a slave, he said, I'm going to respond because of God's power because of God's promises, because of God's purposes, I'm going, not going to live as a slave, even though my circumstances are, I'm a slave. He worked his web, became the number one in the household. But then along comes part of his wife, and if you know this story, I won't go into any detail, but he was propositioned by part of his wife day after day and pleaded with to come to her bed and to be with her, and he refused time and time again and he says in chapter 39, verses 9 and 10, 
He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he spoke and she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her. Humanly speaking, he was totally forgotten by God. He had been sold by his family, hated by his brothers. He was a slave. Why not go and live as a slave and go and take whatever I can and to live in the slavery of temptation? But he refused to do that, and he thought big picture. The same thing for you and I. Sometimes we live in the slavery of our temptation, and we live in the slavery of, well, this is my circumstances. I might as well live in my circumstance instead of living big picture. As a result of Joseph rejecting part of his wife and not being immoral with her, she lied about him with part of his master. And his master got mad and took Joseph and had him thrown into prison. So now you have a man who was the number one son who goes to being a victim of his brother's hatred to being a slave to then being the number one slave in this household, which would have been prestigious and and, and a very responsible position. And now he's been falsely accused and he's a victim again of false accusations. And now he's back and he's down at the bottom. He's in prison. That's our third point. He's in prison. But God was with him all along. And it says the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Joseph refused to live in his circumstances as a prisoner. He was thinking big picture. He was thinking beyond the immediate. He was thinking of God's promises. He was filtering through God's power and he was recognizing the fact that God had purpose even when he was at the lowest point of his life. That account continues on with Baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh being sent into prison. The baker was, of course, the baker who made the bread for the Pharaoh. The cupbearer was the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He would have been the person that would have tried the food before Pharaoh ate it. He would have been right there every every time that Pharaoh made a decision. He would have been right next to him as the cupbearer, ready to give him his his cup, ready to give him his wine when when he required it. Both of these men had dreams while they were in prison, and Joseph correctly interpreted both of them, where the the baker eventually was was actually killed, and the cupbearer was restored back to the service of the Pharaoh. And Joseph said, remember me to this cupbearer. He's basically saying, when you go back to Pharaoh, remind him of me and what I'm doing here. I don't blame Joseph at all for for asking for for this favorable mention. But this is the only time we ever see that Joseph tries to take things in his own strength and his own power. Two years goes by, and this cupbearer who promised to name him before the Pharaoh totally forgot about him until two years later when the Pharaoh himself had a couple of dreams. And these dreams, all of the sorcerers of the time could not interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And, and then the cupbearer says, I remember a guy that I met while I was in prison. So they grab Joseph out of the prison and they bring him up before the Pharaoh. And Joseph interpreted correctly these two dreams. The two dreams were kind of unusual dreams. 
They dreamt of fat cows being eaten by skinny cows. And then he dreamt of really plump corn being consumed by skinny corn. And everyone's scratching their heads. And Joseph comes back with a correct interpretation and also some words of advice. The interpretation is there's going to be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And the word of advice that Joseph gave was, during those seven years of prosperity, put food aside, save food, because during that time of famine, you're going to need to draw on those resources. And not just for you, but you're going to be able to save the entire world. Something was seen in Joseph by Pharaoh at that time. When, If you remember, Joseph goes from being the number one son down to a victim of, being, of a hatred crime, of, and then he becomes a slave, and then he becomes the number one slave, and he's falsely accused, and then he becomes a prisoner, and then he becomes the number one in the prison, and then from that he is elevated to become the governor of all of Egypt. He is quite literally the number two man in the world. The world's superpower at the time is, is Egypt, and Joseph was number two. He was given incredible authority. Genesis 41, verse 38 says, Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? And it's a really key phrase for you in here. In whom is the Spirit of God? You know what's amazing? That same Spirit of God lives inside of you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. None of us are called to be Joseph. Thank God I've never been sold into slavery. Thank God, I've, to, to this time, I've never been in prison. Thank God that my life is not replicated in Joseph's life, but the same Spirit of God who gave him every opportunity and every ability is living inside of you all as well. That's encouraging. Because what that means is you too can filter through your circumstances when you're a victim, when you're a slave, when you're a prisoner, and you can filter through your circumstances as God's promises. You can filter through God's power and God's purposes and recognize that same God lives inside of you. Joseph then is elevated to become the governor of Egypt. And during that seven years of prosperity, he begins to put food aside. They're saving for the future. And he was given incredible authority by Pharaoh. And it says in verse number 40, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. He's given incredible power and authority. He goes from being a slave to being the second most powerful man in the entire world. God has a sense of humor. And I believe that every step of the way, Joseph could have given all of that away by thinking small picture, by reacting rather than responding in God's promises and, and power and purposes. Over the course of a number of chapters, He's met by his brothers. His brothers are hungry. They're, they're sent down. He reacquainted with his brothers, which is a tremendous story. If we encourage you in your own time, read chapters 37 through 50 of Genesis and read this account for yourself. And they're reunited as a family. Now, I'm no doubt there's a lot of awkwardness. 
and a lot of fear, thinking Joseph is going to get revenge. He has the authority of Egypt behind him. He could kill us at any time. And they're always carrying that around. What happens with Jacob and his family and his, and his entire family with those 11 other brothers? They're all brought to Egypt. They all begin to live there. They, they, they prosper there. They're given favor and land. And then through that, look, over the course of time, Jacob, the father of Joseph, passes away. And that leads us into Genesis chapter number 50, right where we were reading this morning. All of that comes down to, I believe, those three things we must remember, those three truths. As we filter through our life, through God's promises, through God's power, through God's purposes, we could take it back at any time and say, well, God, I'm going to take it back at this time and I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to react poorly. I'm going to break relationships. Joseph's brothers come to him. At the end, after their father Jacob had passed away, they, now they are afraid. I mean, first of all, imagine those awkward family reunions they'd have. And they come together and they come before Joseph and they send him a note. And it says in chapter 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they get scared. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They recognized the evil that they did. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Before we go to verse 17, I was reading some Bible commentators and people writing about this. There's no indication that Jacob, their father, ever commanded Joseph to forgive their brothers. I think, this is just my opinion, I think they made this up because they were scared. So they said, well, Dad said, please let us go. Verse 17, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did this evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. At this time, Joseph now has all the power and all the authority to get the revenge as a victim that he deserved. All the pain and the suffering they had, these brothers had put them through. But he refused to forget God was the one that had given the promises. He's the one that is powerful. God is God and he was not. He refused to forget that God had purpose even in the difficult times when we scratch our heads thinking, God, what are you doing here? The passage continues on. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Nowhere in the, his response do we see the fact of revenge. We don't see the victim there. We see the opposite. He says he spoke kindly to them. Now, to be honest with you, naturally speaking, I kind of really want them to suffer a little bit longer. Come back next week and I'll make my decision. In the meantime, you suffer. 
That's a natural way of thinking, but he responded and spoke kindly to them because he constantly filtered through his reaction with a response of, remember his promises? Remember God's power and remember God's purposes. How different will your interactions be in your family? How different will they be on your drives home? How different will they be if we can begin to think big picture? And that is now the habit that we have. So no longer are we recognizing and thinking short term. We're thinking we are part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. What impact will that make in your relationships even today? Because this week, you will have the opportunity to filter through a reaction versus a response. Even today on the way home, you may have the opportunity to filter through a reaction rather than a response. Let God be God and let Him develop the habit of thinking big picture in our life. 